brought a Bible, we're going to go to the book of Exodus. Once again, Exodus chapter 14. As we come again to the book of Exodus, we are uh, in a series on freedom. This series was not planned. I just I felt the Lord lead in this direction, and he just, uh, it's like when you pull a thread, and it just keeps coming. God has more and more to give us, so we're going to continue this week and next week uh, on the Exodus. The importance of the Exodus cannot be overstated in that it is in the Bible the greatest visible demonstration of God's power other than the creation. It is a collection of miracles so astounding that you never see anything quite like it again in the Bible until you get to the ministry of Jesus. But this is a picture, an Old Testament type and shadow of the deliverance of God's people, of you and me, out of the slavery of sin and into the freedom and the promised land that God has for each one. And so as we talk about freedom and we talk about you know, the Exodus, we're talking about your story and my story. And if you have not experienced the Exodus in your own life, God wants you to have an exodus. He wants you to come out of bondage, out of darkness, out of sin, out of those mindsets and habits and sins that have bound and beset your life. And he wants you to have perfect freedom. The Bible says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. No longer to be subject to the yoke of bondage. That's God's plan and purpose for your life. Now this morning... Now we come to that portion of the scripture when the nation of Israel has come out of Egypt and they have been led by God to the edge of the Red Sea. And we read in verse 1, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before by Hiroth between Migdol and the sea. And you shall camp at Baal-Zephon opposite by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will chase, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now verse 13, same chapter. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We're blessed to be in your house. And I pray now that you would speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to the issue of our heart. By your holy and inspired word. We ask that in Jesus name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to speak this morning on the subject. The Pharaoh Syndrome. I'm going to teach probably a little more than I preach. But I want you to get this information in your spirit. And in your mind because it is crucial to you being able to live in freedom. 
First of all, I want you to notice that when they left Egypt, they were led by God. In uh, Genesis, uh, pardon, yeah, in Exodus chapter 13, we see God give them three promises, and you can uh, jot these down for your further study uh, this week. But God tells them in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 13, I will lead you, that's in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. And then in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, I will help you. And then in chapter 3 and verse 20, he says, I will go with you. That's God's promise to Israel, and that's God's promise to you and I this morning. He says, I will lead you. I'll be the one to guide your life. I'll be the one to determine the steps that you take. The Bible said that there are many plans in, the mar- in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And God wants to lead our life. He wants to make decisions in our life, and when we let him lead, our life is blessed. How many of you know that this morning? Then he says, I will not only lead you, but I will help you. I will do the things that you need done that you can't do of your own power, of your own strength. How many of you could use some help this morning? Well, God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to be your strength. I'm going to be your aid and comfort as you go through uh, this journey of faith and this walk in the spirit. And then he says to them, I will go with you. I'm not going to send you alone. I'm not going to send you out to this journey without the promise of my presence. I'm going to go with you. And this morning, you have a promise from God. God says to you this morning, I will go with you wherever you go. Whatever life brings to your life, whatever circumstances come into your life, whatever you face as a family or a marriage or an individual, God says, I will go with you. In fact, God's presence is God's answer to every problem in your life. Say amen, somebody. When God called Moses in the third and fourth chapter of Exodus, he called Moses and Moses gave him four excuses why he could not go and why he could not do God's will. And every one of those excuses was answered in the same way. He said, Lord, I can't speak. God said, I'll be with you. He said, Lord, what if they don't believe me? He said, I will be with you. He said, well, Lord, what will I answer? I don't have all the answers that they're going to need. He said, I will be with you. Well, Lord, what if Pharaoh doesn't respond? I will be with you. God's answer to every need in your life is the same. I will be with you. And listen, if God is with you, if God is for you, then you can handle any situation that comes into your life. Say amen, somebody. Now, they leave Egypt, and the Bible says this very particular thing. It says, the Lord told Moses, turn around and go this way. Now, there are two ways to get to the promised land from Egypt. You can either go on the Via Maris, which is the the way of the sea. That is the shortest route. It's along the Mediterranean coast. If you take the Via Maris, you'll be in the promised land in two weeks, all right? That is a long trip, but not a very long trip. On the other hand, uh, of course, we remember these people are traveling by foot, all right? So there's no tour bus. There's no uh, expedition to take them there. So they're going to have to walk there. That will be a two-week walk, maybe today a two- or three-hour drive, all right? So the promised land is just right over there on this particular route. But God says, Moses, I want you to take this route. This route is going to take about 40 days, and this route is a route that goes by the Red Sea. So God leads them on this particular route. Now they come up against the Red Sea and on their side they are flanked by the mountains and then the Bible says that behind them is Pharaoh. 
So basically, God has led them into a, 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 a dead end. God has led them into a place where there is no escape except un, unless he moves. And so we, we realize then that the, the Lord says that he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would chase them. Now, if you're listening to this this morning, you might be thinking kind of like I think when I read this story. And I say, Lord, this looks like a setup. You just took Israel out of Egypt. You plugged them into a dead end. And then you stirred up Pharaoh to go chase them. Does that ever sound like your life? Like maybe just God has set you up for some kind of trouble. And the fact was that God had set them up. When he, he led Moses to go into this dead end, and then he led Pharaoh to chase the Israelites into that dead end, it's because of what he says in verse 4. He said in verse 4 of chapter 14 to Moses, he said, I will be honored by Pharaoh. Now that word honored literally is the word in Hebrew, kabod, which means glory. God says, I am going to get glory out of Pharaoh. He doesn't know this yet. He doesn't really understand what I'm doing, but God says, I'm going to use Pharaoh. I am going to get glory out of the enemies of Israel. I'm going to I'm going to cause him to chase the nation of Israel into this dead end so that I can manifest my power and my presence on behalf of my people. You realize, friends, that God gets glory out of your life. And sometimes Pharaoh shows up in your life and problems show up in your life. Difficulty shows up in your life and we start to complain about it and we start to say, why Lord and why me? And this shouldn't have happened to me. But what we need to do is stop complaining and realize that God is up to something and that God can get glory out of the difficulties in your life. Come on somebody. There is a purpose that God has. At the end of this story... Pharaoh and his army will be drowned in the, in the Red Sea. And God will perfectly and powerfully deliver his people. Now here's the promise of God. Here's the purpose of God being revealed. I'm going to take you to a tight spot so that I can show off in your life. Say amen somebody. Now the problem is that although Moses knows this and the people should know it, when they see Pharaoh... They don't respond to what God has said. Instead, they react with panic and fear. Of course they did. Here they are, a, a nation of about 2 million slaves. They have no weapons. They have no defenses. They have not been trained for war. And here comes chasing them Pharaoh, who's got 600 chariots and horses and uh, an army beside that. And they have been back into a corner, and it seems like there is no way out. Of course, they panicked. Of course, they became afraid. But then the next thing they did was even worse. They become uh, uh, afraid, and they panicked, but then they accused God. And this is what they accused God of. They said, have you brought us out here to kill us? Were there not enough graves in Egypt where we were so that you could have killed us in Egypt? Why did you bring us out here to die? Why did you bring us out here in order to kill us? And then they said to Moses, it would have been better if we had just stayed in Egypt. It would have been better for us if we had remained slaves. 
If we had remained in bondage, if we had remained in our past, you realize, friends, that this is the enemy's strategy against your life. He brings difficulty into your life, and then he makes you think about how good things were when you were living without God. And he, he paints a picture. It's not real. You, you realize that. But he, ta- he paints a picture about how wonderful your life was before you came to know Jesus. Over, over there when you were addicted, when you were broken, when you were abused. And he says, you should just stay back there. You should go back to where you used to be. Is there anybody that can say, no way? Come on, say, no way. You see, the enemy wants to talk you out of the promised land. The promised land is just right over in that direction. But they say we would rather go back. We should have stayed where we were. Now, the reason that they do this is important. And this is the question I'm asking you this morning. Why did they respond in this way? If they had a revelation that God was up to something, God was up to something good, and that God was powerful. I mean, notice what this people saw. They saw nine plagues come on Egypt. Each one of those plagues completely dismantled one of the gods of Egypt. And then they had the tenth judgment. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn where God systematically dismantled Pharaoh as a god as well. And now you have before them the miraculous, uh, the, the miraculous deliverance of God from Egypt. On top of that, the Bible said that on the morning that they left Egypt, the Egyptians spoiled themselves and they came out and they gave the Israelites gold and silver and treasures for them to take with them on the journey and do you realize what happened that they received 400 years worth of back pay on one morning nobody said amen I said they received 400 years of back pay in one morning. All those years they had been slaves. They got paid up all that time they had been working. That's a big check, somebody. They've seen God work. And now they see a column of fire in between them and Pharaoh. And if Pharaoh tries to maneuver one way, the column gets in front of him. If if, if Pharaoh tries to maneuver another, the column of fire gets in front of him. These people are witnessing some of the most extraordinary miracles in all of the Bible. And yet they respond by saying, why did God do this to us? Why did he bring us out here to kill us? Why has God been so unjust with us? Now what I want you to realize this morning is that the reason that they do this is because they have a concept of God that has been shaped by Pharaoh. And that is what I'm calling the Pharaoh syndrome this morning. What is a syndrome? A syndrome is a combination of opinions, emotions, and behaviors. And so they have opinions about God. They have emotions toward God. And they have behaviors as a result of that that are shaped and formed by Pharaoh. Here's the fact. For 400 years, Pharaoh was the father figure of Israel. For 400 years, they lived under the thumb of an oppressive regime that was uh, a a regime that was a uh, not only a a strong authority figure, but in in Egypt, Pharaoh was a god. Pharaoh was not just a, a president or a king. He was actually considered a god. And so their idea about God was shaped by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a killer, so they start to assume God must be a killer. 
Pharaoh is cruel. They start to assume God must be cruel. Pharaoh was angry. They must now assume that God is an angry God. This is why in the face of adversity, rather than believe God, they turn against God. And this is also why many of you in the face of adversity, instead of trusting God, you turn against God. You start complaining against God. And I want to teach you this this morning because this is one of the most important keys to keeping your freedom. You see, they, Israel was out of Egypt, but Egypt was not out of Israel. They still had Egyptian tendencies and an Egyptian mindset. They still had a Pharaoh syndrome in their hearts. And until that's changed, you can be out of Egypt, but still in your spirit be bound. And God has come by the, by the power of the cross to bring total and complete deliverance to your life. But in order for you to experience total and complete deliverance, your mind has to be renewed. Your mindsets need to be changed. And God has provided for that to be possible in your life. I want to explain something to you because there are three things that shape our concept of God. All right? Three things that form how we view God. The first thing is our parents. The second thing is our religion. And the third thing is the authority figures in our life. Now, I'm going to teach you a little bit right now because if I can communicate this to you, you might be able to understand why you see God in a particular way. And it might also help you if you're a parent to make sure that you set an example for your children that is a positive one about God. Think about, first of all, this. Parents. Our parents shaped how we viewed God. Listen, if you had parents that were loving, that were gracious, that were generous, that were caring, that gave hugs, that uh, were fair, that were humble, that knew how to acknowledge when they were wrong, they painted for you as a child. They painted for you a picture of God. You didn't know that's what was happening. But then when you, gained, you came to know God, you, you didn't have a hard time getting to know God because you would look at God and you look at your dad and your mom and you say, well, they were just, so God must be just. They were fair, so God must be fair. They were kind, so God must be kind. And people who had parents who loved them generally don't have a hard time receiving the love of God. However, if you had parents that were not loving, they were not affectionate, maybe your parents were proud or unfair or distant, or maybe they showed partiality between you and your siblings. Maybe your father was an angry or vindictive man. Or maybe your mother was capricious. Then, as a child, you got an Im image of what God was like. And a lot of people, because they grew up in that kind of household, when they think of God, they think God is capricious, God is angry, God is mean, God is unfair, God is partial, God um, is, is uh, unkind, he is distant. And that idea about God walks with you for your whole life until it changes, until it's uh, changed and formed by a genuine experience with God. Now, on top of parents comes religion. It doesn't matter if you are a Catholic or Pentecostal or Baptist or Methodist or a pagan. Whatever religion you grew up in, that religion has a lot to do with how we view God. Listen, if your church was kind, loving, forgiving, accepting, hospitable, 
generous, all the things Kingsway Church is, say amen somebody, then if that's the kind of church that you were in growing up, that shaped your view of God. And you receive God as a kind, generous, uh, loving, compassionate, forgiving person who when you make a mistake is willing to correct you and help you to rebuild. But then if you grew up in a church that was legalistic, a church that was um, unforgiving, critical, condemning, the kind of church where people looked at you sideways if you didn't write, wear the right things, or maybe you grew up in a particular religious system where in order to please God, you had to get all the check marks, you got to get all the, the right things in the right place, or God is not going to be pleased with you, then that forms in your mind a, a, a view of God that God is legalistic, unkind, unforgiving, unjust, un, uh, unmerciful, and distant. Now, I want to say something because uh, this is a, a, a story that comes from right here in our church. And I, I don't particularly like to share it because it's, it's not the most positive one. But many, many years ago, a long time ago, uh, there was a, a couple in this congregation that, um, that made a mistake. And they got pregnant outside of marriage. All right? Now, that's, that's what we call sin, right? It's fornication, adultery, whatever you want to call it. But they wanted to get right. They wanted to do things right, so what did they do? They, they decided they want to get married. But the rule in the church at the time was that if you were pregnant outside of wedlock, you could not get married in the church. And so on a cold February morning, they got married outside of the church, outside of the house of God, because of the governing religious system of that time. Now, let me just say we've come a long way, baby, all right? God has, has really brought the Pentecostal church a long way. But do you think about that story I just told you? What picture does that give of God? That, that kind of God says, if you mess up, there's not going to be no mijo and mija here. You're going to have to stay outside of my house. And that's not the God of the Bible. That's a God of religion. But you see, if you grew up in that sort of system, then you got a bad picture of what God is like. Now, I'm not here to help you be critical of your parents or to be critical of your church. Because some of us had good parents. Some of us had a good church. Say amen. And whatever the faults and failings may have been, they brought you to the Lord. But what I want you to realize here is that this sermon is not about being critical about your past. It's about realizing that many times those experiences shaped how we conceive of God, how we see God. And then there's a third thing, and that is authority figures in our life. For Israel, Pharaoh was the authority figure. You know, in America, you grow up, you go to school, and in the classroom, used to be anyway, there was a picture of the President of the United States or a picture of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. You guys know who those guys are? Yeah. You know, and, and you know, we, what do we know? We know that George Washington was an honest boy who chopped down a cherry tree it might have been a myth, but whatever. He chopped down that cherry tree, and then he went and told the truth, right? And we know that Abraham Lincoln was honest Abe. And so we had in front of us images of authority figures who were noble and just and good, and they set a standard. So thank God we live in America because we got a picture that, that shaped in our hearts a view of God, that God is noble, that God is uh, high above uh, us in his standards, but, you know, for the Egyptians and for the Israelites, if you can imagine, 
I'm just imagining now, if you can imagine an Israeli preschool in Egypt, who's on the wall of that preschool? Pharaoh. The thumb of Pharaoh. Don't mess with that guy, because if you get out of line, he'll beat you. If you get out of line, he'll kill you. And they already knew that, because in the first chapter of Exodus, Pharaoh had tried to kill, or did kill, all of an entire generation of Israeli men. So they knew this was not a man to be messed with. Now, you take all those three layers and you realize why when they get to the edge of the Red Sea and although they know what God is up to, they still say, why did God bring us out here to kill us? Because their mind of, and their view of God has been shaped by their past. It's been shaped by their experience. It's been shaped by their parents, the religion of the day, and they're authority figures. Listen, guys, this is why in America we have to fight against a culture that is prevailingly moving away from God because they are teaching the next generation how to worship. They are teaching the next generation how to serve the Lord. And listen, I'm not going to get into politics this morning. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me whether you voted for Donald Trump or not. It doesn't matter. But I am very concerned about the type of rhetoric that is used by our president. Because the way he speaks is teaching our generation uh, and our younger generations what leadership looks like. And it's going to set a pattern in America for how discourse uh, is, is done and how problems are solved. And listen, these things are real. And they are real problems that you and I can combat in our own homes, in our own churches, by saying, you know what? If we're going to be parents, they're going to they're see in us the image of God. And if we're going to have a church, it's going to be a church that reflects the image of God so that this culture can know that there is a God who loves, who cares, who forgives, who restores. Come on, somebody. That's our objective. So they have a Pharaoh syndrome. When God wants to show up in their life, what they see is Pharaoh. Now, is there a solution to that? How do we solve that problem? Now, the other factor here is that when you and I have a Pharaoh syndrome, not only do we judge God, but we judge our circumstances by that syndrome. So someone who has a Pharaoh syndrome immediately thinks when something bad happens, God is trying to get me. They have a flat tire, God's mad at me. Maybe you just ran over a nail. Pointy objects destroy good tires. But you get a flat tire, the Pharaoh syndrome, because all that information goes through your view of God. Because it, it filters through all of that, and you say, God's mad at me. I've sat with people on a deathbed uh, who have said to me, Pastor Isaac, I'm sick, I'm dying. Do you think God is judging me? You think God is trying to get even with me for something? And I think about where in the world do we even begin to think like that about God. There's not a single verse in the Bible that says God will make you sick if he's mad at you. Sickness is the result of sin coming into the world, friends. It's not God's plan. But you see, the Pharaoh syndrome makes us interpret bad circumstances in our life as though God has been evil, wicked, or cruel toward us. And there is a solution for that. 
Now, it takes a little while for you to read the whole book of Exodus for you to see what the solution is. But we get a glimpse of it right here in chapter 14, and then we're going to get the full view of it in chapter 34. But here's where it starts. The Bible says that when the people began to complain like this against God, Moses said to them, number one, don't be afraid. Number two, he said, stand firm. Number three, he said, see, look and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, here is where we begin to see the solution. You've got to get a new set of lenses. You've got to get a new vision of who God is. You see, if you grew up in a, in a life uh, or in a, in a, in a, with parents or a church or religious system that gave you a bad view of God, what needs to happen in your life is that you need to get a new revelation of who God is. Because listen, church. God is not who you think he is. God is who the Bible says that he is. God is not the picture that someone painted for you. God has revealed himself in the word of God. He's revealed himself in the Bible. And if you want to get, a, a, you want to get freedom from the Pharaoh syndrome, you've got to get a new view of God, a new perspective on God. Now, if you read Genesis chapter 34, and verse 6, the Bible says this, that the Lord, or that Moses came to the Lord, and he said, Lord, this is, a, pardon me, chapter 33, verse 18, he said, show me your glory. Say that with me this morning, show me your glory. What's Moses doing? He's asking God to show him who he really is. He's saying, God, I grew up in Pharaoh's house. I have the same problem that this people had. I need you to show me your glory. Now, I want to encourage you this morning to make that your prayer. To say, God, show me your glory. I want to see you the way you really are. I want to see you for who you really are. Not for who the filters say that you are. Not for who uh, bad examples have said that you are. I want to see you for who you are. I want to get to know you. He says, Lord, show me your glory. Many years ago, I had a, a friend of mine who, he said to me, Isaac, he said, I was speaking to the Lord, and the, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I love you. And he said, the Lord said back to me, do you really love me? And I heard that, my heart broke for him, because I said, you know, I said, you know, buddy, I don't think that was the Lord. I don't, I don't hear that in the Bible. I don't hear that in my own relationship with God. And what I realized was that he grew up in a home where he could never get anything right. He never did anything to measure up to his father. And so when he goes to talk to God, what he hears is not really God. It's his father saying, do you really? I say, you know what I believe? I, I believe it when I say I love you to God, that God says, I love you too, Isaac. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God who loves you. But you see, the Pharaoh filter was robbing him of that relationship with God. My friend, my, my buddy, needed the same thing you and I need this morning. To say to God, God, show me your glory. I want to see you for all that you are. I want to see you as you are. As you have revealed yourself in the scriptures. I want to ask you a question. What is the first thing that comes to mind, the first word that comes to mind when I mention God? Is it anger? Is he frustrated? Is he tired of you? Is he just tolerating you? 
He's putting up with you. He's far away. If, if that's the first thing you think of when you think of God, you have a Pharaoh fit. A Pharaoh syndrome. It has to be removed. Because the enemy has lied to you about who God is. About who God genuinely is and what he wants to be in your life. So God, he go, Moses comes to God. He says, God, what's the first word that comes to your mind when, when you think of yourself? Show me your glory. And in and Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, I want you to open your Bible if you have one and go there with me because I want you to see how God describes himself. How do you think God describes himself? He says in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, these words which began to unravel the Pharaoh syndrome in the life of Moses as well as in the life of of uh, the nation of Israel. A lot of them will never get free from Egypt. Because they'll never let God take away that syndrome out of their life. But this morning, if you will let God speak to your life, if you'll let God do this miraculous work in your life, this is what God says. He says, you'll never see this Pharaoh again. Listen, that's a prophetic word for you this morning. God says, if you will look to me, you'll never see this Pharaoh again. How many of you could see with never seeing Pharaoh again? How many of you could live with that? How many of you would like your children to be able to walk into their preschool and never see Pharaoh again? Come on, somebody. How many of you would like your descendants to walk in faith and in freedom and never see this Pharaoh again? Is there anybody in here that wants that? Guess what? You've got to get a glimpse of the glory of God. And this is what God says to Moses as he divinely reveals or discloses himself he says to Moses he says the Lord God is compassionate everybody say compassionate what does God want you to know about him this morning that he is compassionate what does that mean that means that God sympathizes with your weakness. He takes pity on our frailties. He knows, the Bible said, he knows that we are but dust. He knows that we don't have what it takes. He has compassion for us. He has sympathy toward your need. This morning, I want you to realize there is a God who sees you and he cares about you. He wants you to know that this morning, that he has compassion for you. The Bible says, as a father has compassion upon his children, even so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear him. Is there anybody in here that fears the Lord? Is there anybody in here that reverences God? You are the object of God's compassion. The second thing he says, the Lord God, the Lord God is gracious, pardon, compassionate and gracious. Everyone say gracious. What does gracious mean? It means that God has dealt with us by grace. Grace means that we received something that we did not deserve. How many of you have ever received something you did not deserve? When God extends his description of himself to us. He says, this is the kind of God I am. I'm a gracious God. You ask me for 10, I'll give you 12. 
You ask me to forgive you once, I'll forgive you the next time just in advance. I am a gracious God. He goes beyond what we deserve. He goes and he does those things that we could not have earned. Listen, we, we can't earn God's love. We can't earn God's grace. We can't earn God's forgiveness. But God has graciously extended this to us, free and, and clear of any expense on our part because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, he says to Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. You know, God has a long fuse. It takes a whole lot to make God mad. That ought to be exciting to think about this morning. Because some of you, you grew up with a father with a short fuse. But God says, I'm slow to anger. In another part, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord is but for a moment. When God gets angry, it's a quick anger. But his favor is for a lifetime. His anger is for a second, but his favor is for eternity. Come on, somebody. I'm talking to you about who your God is. And then number four, he says to Moses, I am the Lord God, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, merciful. Everyone say merciful. Do you know that mercy is the fact that God has not given us what we did deserve? We deserve hell, but we're going to heaven. Say amen, somebody. That sounds like mercy to me. You and I deserve judgment, but we have received righteousness. We deserve death, but we have received eternal life. This is the mercy of God. We have become the recipients of mercy. And notice the difference there. Grace is when I get what I didn't deserve. Mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. So you go to the to the judge and they say you ran that stop sign and it's $50 or 50 days in jail you say I don't have $50 they say all right we're gonna have to give you 50 days in jail but I'm going to forgive your violation that's mercy I don't deserve that now if the judge reaches in his pocket and gives you $50 and says go buy yourself a nice dinner that's grace I just got something I didn't have coming to me God says to Moses, I am slow to anger. I am merciful. Verse number five, then he says, I am truth. The Lord God, your God is a compassionate God, gracious, slow to anger, merciful, and true. Do you realize how different this was to Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a liar. Pharaoh said, I'll let you go. I won't let you go. Okay, you can go. No, you're not going. And then when he let him go, he went and chased him. So he could bring them back. That's the kind of enemy that you have. Satan, the Bible says, is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He doesn't know the truth. Every time the devil opens his mouth, it's a lie. But when you look at God, our God is a God of truth. The Bible says that our God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Has God spoken and will he not do it? And then Solomon said this. He said God will do with his hand what his mouth has spoken. Come on, somebody. Our God keeps his word. He's a promise keeper. He is a God of truth. Some people have a difficulty receiving the truth of God's word because they had liars in their life. 
Guess what? God wants to give you a new vision, a new perspective, a revelation of who he is. He wants to take down the Pharaoh sin, uh, syndrome in your life. Number six, he says, I am loving, loving kindness. It talks to us about the love of God. The love of God is to a thousand generations. Do you realize this morning God loves you? Think about that. God loves you. He's in love with you. He's crazy about you. He wakes up in the morning with you on his mind. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You say, well, pastor, do you think I'll ever run out of God's love? You know, oftentimes we relate God's love to mama's love. Anybody remember mama's love? Mama's love is so, is, mama's love is blind, honestly. You could say, mama, he lied. No, mijo no hace eso. She cannot see any flaws. But you know, the problem with mama's love is that she doesn't love every kid in the neighborhood the same way. She just loves her kids. She's not gonna. She's not gonna go over the over the boundaries for everyone else's kids. These are her kids. But God's God's love is the kind of love where He loves every kid in the neighborhood the same way. He loves you and I the same way. Come on, He doesn't love me more than He loves you, and He doesn't love you any more than He loves me. Come on, somebody, you are the object of God's divine affection. He says. I am a God of loving kindness. And then he says to Moses, number seven, I forgive iniquity. Aren't you glad this morning that God is a forgiver? What if we got one for everyone? For every sin, you got a judgment. There wouldn't be anybody left in the room. Amen, somebody. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says our God has not dealt with us according to our sins. He hasn't dealt with us the way our sins deserve. Our sins deserve judgment, but his mercy has reached out and saved us. And this morning, he says to you and to me, I will forgive your iniquity. I'll forgive down to the depths of your soul, down to the deepest, darkest, most hidden secret and corruption of your soul. God says, I will forgive you, and I will forget it. He says, I'll take your sin, and I'll bury it in the deepest part of the sea, never to be remembered against you again. Come on, somebody. And when the devil comes up to God and says, oh, you know, you know that, Pastor Isaac, you know what he's really like. The Lord says, I don't know what you're talking about, devil, because when I look at Isaac, I see the blood. When I look at Isaac, I see a, a, a righteous man come on somebody I'm talking about a God who forgives a God who loves a God who is truth a God who is merciful a God who is slow to anger a God who is gracious a God who's compassionate can you imagine this morning as Moses is hearing this the Pharaoh syndrome is coming down Now he's no longer looking at God or relating to God through his experience. But now he's relating to God by who he is. By the full, complete revelation of who he is, the same thing happened to Saul of Tarsus. 
Saul of Tarsus was raised in the most religious Jewish community you can imagine. And the Bible says that when he was converted, the scales fell off of his eyes. I think about Moses, and I think of him looking at God, and, and he's seeing God in a way that he never saw him before. The, the, the syndrome is being washed out of his eyes. He's starting to realize God is not mad at me. He loves me. God is not trying to kill me. He's not trying to kill us by the Red Sea. He's trying to show off so that we will see who he is, so that we will see his glory. And the Bible says that Moses, when he saw God in this way, he bowed down and he worshiped. I imagine Moses was down on his face. He hasn't seen the Red Sea open yet. But he's down on his face worshiping God because he knows that his God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And he worships. You see, worship is the natural response to a revelation of God. I imagine Moses started to worship. He might have sang unto the Lord a new song. Maybe he said, I sing praises to your name. Praises to your name. Name that's so much higher than all names. Maybe he started singing, all honor to your name, all honor to your name, name that's so much greater than all names. Oh God. Job said, I saw you from a distance, but now I see you like you are. Oh, come on, somebody. Would you just join with me this morning and worship the Lord? To your name. Yes, Lord. Name that's so much higher than all names. I never knew you like this before. I didn't know you were this good. I didn't know you had so many good thoughts toward me. Come on, just let the Pharaoh syndrome wash out of your eyes this morning.